the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and this week I will be filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who is out of the office. Both he and Paula are enjoying some time away. And if you're just tuning in while the show is just starting just a little bit late, we apologize for some technical difficulties. If you were listening from the very beginning, I'm sure you're a little bit confused, but everything is fine now. Thank you, Jesus. The show will continue as it normally does. So let me give you the phone numbers, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. That's the local number, the toll-free number. If you want to call into the show, is 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, is questions at calvarysa.com, questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app to submit questions. You can use the KSLR app to listen and call in directly to the radio show if that's what you want to do. We'd love to hear from you. Like I said, it's Monday, and Pastor Ron and Paula are enjoying some time away. They send their love to the radio audience. You can keep them in their prayers, in your prayers. This is a time when they go to spend just time together and time with Jesus to hear from Him and uh, really enjoy each other's company. So that will be for this entire week. And since it's Sunday, that means... Uh, we had church yesterday, and I hope you had a great time at church here at Calvary Chapel. We sure did. Boy, we had a tremendous response. And, you know, we don't do Bible studies for response, but to see the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people uh, is just a beautiful thing. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. People got saved. Um, there's Christians who... Let the Lord deal with things in their heart. We were in Acts chapter 19, a familiar story there with the seven sons of Siva, the power of God's spirit versus the power of the flesh. 
and watching Christians be real with God and say, you know what, that's something that I'm lacking in my life. And the response from that was tremendous. And so I pray that you had a similar type of experience at your church yesterday, because we know that's what Jesus does. All right, I gave you the phone numbers. Uh, We're going to go right to the phone lines. I think we have Greg on line one. You're on the air. Hey, uh, Pastor Ken, uh, I know Pastor Ron has talked about this over the years, and, and I've been studying this for myself for almost 40 years now. Uh, I'm not an expert on it, but I got into a conversation with a, a good Christian brother of mine, and he's of the, the opinion and pretty convinced of it that the church is going to go through the tribulation. Uh, I don't agree with that whatsoever. I think there's plenty of evidence that shows uh, you know, the, that the church is going to be gone before God's judgment places on his, um, his creation and on this, this world. But can you give me something that may get his attention, uh, some scripture verses that would really make him think? Uh, and, of course, this isn't a salvation issue. He's saved. He's born again. But uh, I would just kind of like to maybe help him out here and, and set this straight. Uh, or is there a book that you would recommend that I get for him? Or does Pastor Ron do a really solid teaching on the book of Revelation or the end times, rather, you know, that I can uh, check out on, on the website? Absolutely, Greg. Uh, thanks for calling. And you know, this is an important question. And, and you're right. This is one that's come up multiple times before. And and honestly, I, I don't know why. I, mean, I do know why it comes up as a question, because it's sort of been a, a, a teaching that's been questioned. I'm talking about the rapture of the church. That's been questioned lately. And it, I don't know if it's because there's new things that are coming out or new ways of teaching. There are different theories about eschatology. But what we see in the Bible, it's taught very clearly, and you ask for specific references, and I will give you some. Uh, First Thessalonians is very clear. Chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 really are, are clear when it talks about the rapture. And even in Second Thessalonians, I believe it's in chapter 2, uh, Revelation chapter 4, these are places where uh, Paul, the apostle in the Thessalonian letters, refers to the rapture of the church being imminent. It's going to happen at any time. It is Paul, the apostle, was a pre-tribulation person who believed in the rapture. That means uh, that the rapture would take place prior to the, 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 the wrath, the coming wrath of God. And this is very simple. Uh, I think it's the fifth chapter of First Thessalonians that says that uh, we will not, those who are Christians, we will not suffer wrath, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. That's in verse 9. And that makes it very clear, not that we're going to avoid hardship, but the specific wrath of God that will take place during that seven-year tribulation period is one that Jesus died so that we would not uh, endure. It's not because we're trying to find a reason to escape difficulty. Of course, we know that's not true for uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul tells us that we are going to suffer hardship. And so this... You know, this label that 
people who are you know pre-rath or, or or mid-trib or post-trib try to assign to those of us who believe in a pre-trib rapture that we're trying to escape difficulty just not true it's not true however i would like to escape difficulty if that is possible but we know based on god's word that god has not appointed us christians to suffer his wrath but to receive salvation so think about this greg and this is the easiest way i would put it again first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 if in fact christians will endure the wrath of God, then I would ask, what did Jesus die for? What did he die for? Because if the wrath of God is the punishment for an unbelieving, Christ-rejecting world, then that doesn't make any sense because if Jesus has already paid the price for our sin by suffering on the cross and dying a death that we as sinners deserve and we place our faith in him, for the finished work on the cross... We have escaped his wrath. That's why uh, Paul the Apostle was very clear about being uh, pre-tribulational with his uh, expect, uh, expected time of the rapture. Um, I-, I would say, and you asked for specific uh, studies, I would say, uh, look, Greg, at the notes that Pastor On has, or listen to the study that he has in Revelation chapter 4. He spends a lot of time there and goes into great detail. In fact, it's the entire study that's about the rapture, the pre-tribulational rapture. There in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Because the, the phrase there, the Greek phrase there at the very beginning of that chapter, in the first verse says that there is a significant event here at this time, and it's referencing a specific event, which is the rapture. At this time, uh, and, and then from that point on, in the book of Revelation, there is nothing mentioned about the church. And so, uh, Greg, uh, the last thing I'll say uh, about your question is this. I love the fact that you are engaging with your friends and other Christians about these things. I know you didn't say you debate with them, but these are one of those things where uh, we think the Bible is very clear about what it teaches, a pre-trib, pre-mill return, a pre-trib rapture, and a pre-mill return, a second return of Christ. But it's not something that you want to debate other Christians on. uh, it's it's something that is important. It, it doesn't relate to salvation, like you say, but it does dictate how you interpret the scriptures. Because if your worldview is that Jesus is not going to come, well, it, that will dictate, like Peter says, how we live our lives today. If we don't live like Jesus is going to return at any time, well, we're not going to live as if Jesus is going to return at any time. So I love the fact that you're engaged with your friends about these conversations. Point of the First Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at Second Thessalonians. I think it's chapter 2 uh, or, or, and 3. And then look at Revelation chapter 4, the very first study in the first verse that Pastor Ron does. It's, it's a wonderful study about the rapture and the timing of the rapture. So I hope that helps, Greg. Thank you for your question. Let's go back to our phone lines. Tracy from San Antonio, you're on the air. 
Uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ken. I have a question re- uh, regarding a sermon that um, Pastor Ron, he was talking about Abraham and um, an angel came and talked to him and Abraham gave him a tenth of um, for an offering and he referred to this this man and he said that that was Jesus and he referred to another angel that had come down um, at another time and he said that you know that was Jesus and I was talking to my sister who leads a Bible study and when I was you know just excited and was telling her about all this stuff I'm learning and I referred to that she kind of looked at me real odd and um, I said why well, I couldn't really explain because she didn't agree, and I was wondering if you could point me into the right direction for Scripture to to be able to follow up with her on that and explain, um, you know, why that is or, you know, why that is Jesus that he refers to. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tracy. Yes, thank you for your call. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so the theological term here is Christophany. And what that means is uh, Jesus Christ appearing prior to his incarnation. So in the Old Testament, uh, in Genesis chapter 14, where we look at Abraham, Abraham's story there, and he encounters a man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, I think, is the person that you're talking about. He is a king and a priest. He's the first person that we see in the Bible that that has the authority to where Abraham's response to his presence, Melchizedek's presence, is a form of worship. So Melchizedek would be what we call a Christophany, a man who uh, has no beginning and has no end, had no genealogy. That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 14. And so it, it's not... Uh, surprising that somebody wouldn't understand this, uh, but it's what the Bible teaches. Um, So a Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, that he would be, again, in the form of a person named Melchizedek. But here's the passage, and I'll read just a part of it. In Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 18. Uh, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, the word Salem means peace, by the way, who's the king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he uh, he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Abraham had just finished a battle with uh, Kerolamer, and he had he was victorious. And then it says this: Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said, "Abraham, give me the people and the keep the gods for yourself." Oh, I'm sorry. I think that's the end of it. Yes. That's the main part, um, because it goes on to talking about the king of Sodom. But Melchizedek would be the king of Salem, who is somebody that we first see that that Abram bowed down and worshipped, and he gave 
a tenth to, an offering to. And these are all the things that, that a person would do in the presence of God, to revere God. It doesn't mean that Jesus, this person isn't Jesus because his name is different than Jesus. Again, this is called a Christophany, where we see a pre-incarnate appearance of somebody, uh, and this is Jesus making appearance to Abram. And that's the reference there we see uh, to Jesus making appearance uh, through a, by the person named Melchizedek. And if you do f- further research there in Genesis 14, Tracy, what you'll find is that every aspect and every description of Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. It points to Jesus, but also the fact that he is a, a, a real person that Abram encountered means that it was a, uh, he was a Christophany. Um, one more thing about this too, Tracy, and I, I, I would recommend, I don't normally recommend books, but there is one particular book that may help your friend understand and maybe even help you understand uh, Christophanies. There is a book by a person named Ron Rhodes, and the book is called Christ Before the Manger. It's a wonderful book, and it's an exhaustive study in Christophanies, in the pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and how each one of them point to uh, certain characteristics and, and traits that are unique to God, further solidifying the Scriptures being inspired from beginning to end to all point to Jesus. And that's the message from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. This is all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, who being preexistent before the creation of the world was the, the Logos who took flesh and dwelt among us, according to John chapter 1. So, uh, Tracy, I hope that helps. Genesis chapter 14 is your reference. Uh, Melchizedek is the name of the person you're thinking of. And yes, he is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Oh, and and just in case, uh, if I heard you correctly, you mentioned that he was an angel. In this particular case, this is... Uh, uh, Melchizedek is not an angel. He's a king. Working for Jesus, you know that's <laughs> oh, that's a serious. Oh, keep going. That's Mama Paula. <laughs> hey, Paula from California. <laughs> but Tracy, I hope that helps. Well, thank you for your for your call. Oh, moving right along here. So we are still approaching here uh, this, the break here at the half. No, okay, we've got we've got enough time. If you want to call with your questions, we have we're going to delay the break here a little bit more, a few more minutes than we usually do to make up some time for that we lost at the beginning. So, let me give you the phone numbers: 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585. If you're out of the area, eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. And the email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Oh, there's one thing. I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the show, so I'll mention it now. Today is Monday, obviously. It's the Monday edition of the show, but uh, 
Here at Calvary Chapel, we are not going to have our regular men's and women's and youth Bible studies today. We're taking uh, the day off. It's a holiday, and Pastor Ron and Paula are not here. And so we're not going to have Monday night studies today. We will resume next Monday for Monday night studies. Okay, I have some time here. Let me go ahead and take our first question from Abel. This one is submitted to Pastor Ron, but I'm going to go ahead and take it anyways. It says, hi, Pastor Ron. Can you elaborate more on what Pastor Ken spoke about when he mentioned creating all things? God is in control was the primary message, which was a great message. Was Pastor Ken talking about creating things? Is that including humans? Uh, well, Abel, thanks for your question. <laughs> I think it's funny that I I get this question when I'm doing the show, so I'll go ahead and answer it for myself or for Pastor Ron. But uh, uh, you're referring to the Friday night study. So for people that don't know what you're talking about, Abel, let me just take a second to explain here. On Friday nights, we started something uh, that's a little bit different here on our Friday night study, our New Testament study, which is Pastor Ron is going through the book uh, or Paul's letter to the Colossians. And normally Friday nights, what we do is go through the New Testament. And on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament with Pastor Ron. On Friday night, we started doing something different in the sense that Pastor Ron will be teaching in Colossians for two weeks. And then I will be teaching in the Gospel of John for two weeks. And we were going to alternate. We're going to alternate every two weeks, switching out uh, our studies. And he will be here and I will be here for the studies when we're when he's in town and when I'm in town. But that's the going that, that's the schedule going forward. So Abel's question here was regarding my introductory study into John chapter one, verses one through four, which was this past Friday. And the question was, was Pastor Ken talking about creating things that is is that including humans? And so let me explain. The third verse of this first chapter of John chapter 1 is when we read that the Logos, and this is Jesus Christ, without a doubt, and later on that reference is connected. But what we see here in the beginning first uh, couple of verses in John chapter 1 is that the Logos is God. The Logos is eternal God. And that the Logos, Jesus Christ, has intimate fellowship. There is an intimate union with God the Father. And so both are God, but there are not two gods. They are one God, distinct persons, co-eternal persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit we see here present in the beginning verses of John chapter 1, which is what John's intention is. John wants to paint a picture with explicit detail about who Jesus is and explicitly that he is God. That's why in the third verse of the first chapter, which I think is what you're referring to, Abel, it says this, through him, this is Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And this is where we see the Logos being creator God. The Logos is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is creator God. There is only one creator God. 
And that's God. There is no other creator. And what we learned and what we talked about on Friday night was that the creation of all things was something that was talked about from the very beginning of the Bible, the chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, in John chapter 1, we read that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, created the heavens and the earth, which means that there's only one God, but this creative agency is Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Son of God, God the Son, Colossians chapter 1. In fact, Pastor Ron's going over this uh, the next time he teaches in Colossians. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so, Abel, the the simple answer is that John chapter 1 makes it explicitly clear that Jesus is God. And there is only one creator, God. And that creative agency is Jesus Christ. According to Colossians chapter 1, according to Hebrews chapter 1, according to Ephesians chapter 1, and according to Genesis chapter 1. And so thank you for your question, and I hope that helps. Um, Now we're going to go to a 10-second break, and so stand by. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is the Monday edition. Welcome back to the second half of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron this week on this radio show. The show will continue doing what we always do here, which is taking your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus, questions about doctrine and church life, and and questions about how to put the Word of God into practice. Because in your life, a simple knowledge of God's Word is going to have no value for you. We want you to know what God's Word says so that you can actually put it into practice in your life. And then you will watch the power of God's Spirit transform your thinking. It'll renew renew your thinking. It'll transform your heart. You'll fall in love with Jesus uh, deeper than you ever have before. And, And the practical application of all of that is that your outlook, your worldview, the way you treat people will be so different. You will be like... But Ephesians chapter 1 says of Jesus, you will be rich in kindness and in grace when you get to know his word. And so with that, that's why we're here to take your calls and questions. And so while we're waiting for your phone calls, we'll move on to other questions that have been submitted to our email inbox. The next one is from Anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been listening to you for a couple of months, and I really enjoy it. Thank you. 
I also thank you is in the is in the question. I also noticed that you call out husbands and fathers and rightfully so, but you seem like you don't call out wives and mothers as much. My wife reminds me often that I am the problem in the marriage. Even and this is in double quotes. Even Pastor Ron talks mainly to husbands and fathers, and so y'all are the problem, end quote. I messed up prior to Jesus, and I consistently apologize to her, but she says she cannot trust, she cannot trust and that is why she disrespects me. She is a mean person to me. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. Oh, well, Anonymous, the... Yeah, this hurts my heart. It really does. I'm sorry that things are so difficult, uh, but I can help. I can help. Uh, Number one, if you have a church, I know you indicated you listen to Pastor Ron, but I don't know if you come to this church, wherever church, whatever church you go to, uh, don't let these marital issues linger. Uh, sit down with a pastor, make an appointment, humble yourselves and, and seek godly counsel, seek biblical counsel. Now, I will give you some here and I will give you what God's word says. But these issues need face to face attention. And so anonymous, that's the first thing I want to say. Please make an appointment with your pastor and Set up marital counseling because you and your wife uh, really need to deal with these issues. So now feedback. Well, you're right, Anonymous. The Bible does teach male leadership in two places, at home and in the church. Not in the workplace, not in the government, but at home and in church, these are places where Jesus, where we model our leadership after the example that Jesus has given us. In the church, obviously, we have uh, male leadership, uh, pastors. Uh, pastors should be men. And the Bible is very clear. Some would disagree. But to me, the, the to properly or simply exegete what... Paul wrote to Timothy means that men should lead the church and should pastor over the church. It doesn't mean that women can't lead ministries, but the church is under male leadership because Jesus is the head of the church. The second place, and this is more to your question, anonymous, the man should also be the leader in the home. And, you know, when Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 12, about responsibility, he said, to whom much is given, much is required. Well, the men at home have much responsibility that has been assigned to us. And so that means there is more that's required of us. And that's how it should be. But it doesn't mean that we place the entire world on our shoulders and, and, and everything depends upon us. No, it means 
just like in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is where Paul the Apostle goes to into explicit detail of the distinct roles of the husband and wife. And if your home is going to be a home where Jesus is the boss, that means this is Jesus's home and it's we enforce Jesus's rules that also that first has to apply in the marriage. If you're going to have a godly marriage, that means the husband and the wife both must represent the Lord. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, starting for starting with the. The, the description of the role of a godly wife. Godly wife submits to the male leadership, the spiritual leadership of, of the husband in the home as unto the Lord. And then Jesus, through the apostle Paul, spends a lot more time talking about the role of the husband, starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. That we, as husbands, are to love our wives as Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. So being the leader at home doesn't mean that, that you are the king of your castle and you get to make the rules of how things should go. But it means that as you submit unto the Lord, the husband will demonstrate servant leadership the same way Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit will use that to work in the heart of your wife. Now, specific to your point, when you say it it seems like you don't call out wives and mothers as much, well, that's not true. Because Pastor Ron is very clear, and I do the same thing. All of our pastors here, when we teach, we teach what the Bible says, which is all of us are accountable to God for our actions. And, and even if there is the responsibility to lead the home given to the man, it does not mean that mothers and, and wives have a license to sin and do whatever it is they want because they too have to submit unto the authority of Jesus Christ. They too have to align themselves with what the Word of God says. And so this isn't a matter of like coming down hard on the men and giving the women uh, an excuse. No, all of us are accountable. But in the home, the men lead. And we lead by example. When we're wrong, when we sin, we should be the first to say sorry. We should be the ones that lead by example in humbling ourselves when we're wrong. And that's hard for some men because of pride. But if we let pride prevent us from admitting that we're wrong and not saying sorry, then we're not leading our homes the way Jesus wants to. Now, I want to go to the last part of your question where you say, Anonymous, that uh, I messed up prior to Jesus and I consistently apologize to her, but she says she can't trust me and and that's why she's disrespectful towards me. Uh, Two things here. And so you own your sin. If you sin prior to Jesus, which is what you say here, then we've all done horrible things before we got saved. But as a born-again Christian, we own that and we say, yeah, uh, that was me. I did that. But I have been born again. I have been forgiven of my sin. And now this is what Jesus is doing in me. You see, Jesus never brings up our past. Second Corinthians chapter 5 
verse 17 says that the old has is gone and the new has come. If, in fact, that means that Jesus has wiped away our sin, never to bring it back again, that means I don't have the right or nobody else has the right to bring up my past. Now, people will, and that's okay. But as a born-again Christian, Anonymous, as a husband, it's messed up. And you have sinned. You own that. You don't defend yourself. You don't make excuses. You don't get irritated. All of those are indications of somebody who has not truly repented. You don't say things like, well, how long is it going to take for you to forgive me? How, much, how, many more, how many more times do I have to tell you that I said sorry already? No, that's not the response that comes from a person that's truly repentant. But you own it and you say, you're absolutely right and I deserve that. But Jesus has forgiven me of everything. And look at what he's done since then. Let's walk with Jesus together. And going forward... We don't look back on the things of the past, but we look forward to what Jesus is doing now. And through that process, you won't earn the trust back, but, well, you'll earn it back through consistently walking with Jesus. You don't have to convince her. You don't have to point it out. You don't have to say, hey, did you notice I've been going to church? Every single Sunday for five weeks in a row now. We don't have to point those things out. You don't have to say, look, I've been praying longer and I've been reading my Bible more. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit will do as you continue fixing your eyes on Jesus and walking with him. That's what male leadership means. And this is why we have a greater responsibility as husbands We are pastors of our home. We are the spiritual leaders of our home, and we lead by example. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps. I I would disagree with your premise that uh, we we focus on men and give them a hard time only, and we let wives and moms have a pass because it's not true. That's not true. So read Ephesians chapter 5, Anonymous. And, And one more thing. I would suggest this. You sit down with your wife and go through the marriage series we have online. Go to calvarysa.com under Bible studies and look at their, there's a small topical section. We don't really do topical, but there is one topical series called the marriage series where Pastor Ron goes through this section in Ephesians chapter 5 in great detail, talking about the distinct roles of the wife and and husband and and what those two mean individually and how they work together to honor Jesus and to glorify God in their marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, again, it's the marriage series in the, uh, on a church website, calvarysa.com, or in the, the church app. Thank you for your question, uh, Anonymous. Um, let's go to another one from Anonymous. Does Proverbs 31, verse 7, promote drinking alcohol if you're depressed? Um, Well, let me read. I don't know exactly what it says. apologize. I didn't have this ready ahead of time. But Proverbs 31, I think I know what this section is and what it says. I'm going to read it real quickly so we understand what we're talking about. Verse, I'll start in verse 6. Give beer to those who are perishing... Wine to those who are in anguish, 
Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. The answer is no. Uh, this does not promote, or nor does it even condone drinking. I think what we see here is uh, irony. This is written in a sense that says, look, this is what people are going to do. This is what people normally do. But if you want to honor God, and this is in context instructions for the king, and the king here is told your job is to help people. And if you go to wine for help, you're going to render yourself useless. So alcohol prevents the king from helping people. And therefore, people who are in need, people who are needy, people who are in dire straits, uh, for them to go to alcohol would render them useless also to helping themselves. And so now Proverbs 31 is, is written in a sense of irony to where alcohol won't help. And this is not promote or condone drinking alcohol if you're depressed. Now, what it does say and what, what we do know from the character of God and from what the scriptures tell us is this. Jesus is the one that wants to help us in our time of need. You know, Psalm 121 is a wonderful psalm where we see the psalmist say, uh, I got a mountain in front of me, uh, but I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes and I see a mountain. Where does my help come from? And then it goes on to say, but my help comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. So in a sense, you... Lift your eyes higher than the mountain. And when we have a mountain in front of us, it's so easy just to go to sin, to get drunk, to have sex with somebody that you shouldn't have sex with, to, to, to have something that pleases the flesh so that you can have a temporary escape of your depressing reality. That's why sin is so tempting. But we can't do that. We remember what Paul wrote to Titus, that, that the grace of God that brings salvation unto all men has appeared and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So when we're having a hard day, instead of having a drink to unwind, instead of doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, you go to Jesus and let him help you to relax. And you do this by being in his word. You do this by letting your mind meditate on Jesus. You, you consciously make a decision to set your mind on things above. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. You set your heart on things above. When we read here about alcohol providing a uh, sort of a, a relief to those who are going through a difficult time to do. But those of us who have the Holy Spirit, because we're born-again Christians, if we're listening, what the Holy Spirit will tell us is that there's a better answer to deal with our difficulty, and it's not alcohol. And you think about this, too. And I understand this because I come from, before I was saved, I come from a mindset that thought this way, that would escape my 
the reality of my terrible life by going into, you know, doing things, drugs and alcohol and things that would provide an escape from the miserable life that I live. But every time that sin wore off, that miserable life was still there. That miserable life was still there. And the only remedy to that, again, not being saved completely in the world, the only remedy would be to go back to getting drunk and go, going back to sin as a temporary escape because I could not deal with the miserable reality of my life. And then Jesus, then Jesus interrupted my day, interrupted my life and told me that he loves me. And that the life that I'm living is miserable because I am in sin apart from him. And that his plan for me is far greater than anything I could ever hope for, anything I could ever imagine. It's better than anything I could even dream of. But it required me to let everything go and submit my life to him. Because hurt people hurt other people. Hurt people hurt people. And that's who I was. And that's the mindset I have. And that's the mindset that people have today. It's not in temporary relief. The answer we have is in eternal relief. The peace that surpasses all understanding is available to us today. And that's important for us to realize. And so, as a Christian, again, I'm going to assume most of this radio audience is a, it's a Christian radio station, so I'm going to assume that you are a born-again Christian. Do not fall into the trap of going to alcohol or something to give you temporary relief because it's so hard. Your life is so difficult. Go and find permanent relief not temporary relief, permanent relief in Jesus Christ. You know, Peter the Apostle, it's the last thing I'll say, and we'll move on. Uh, Peter the Apostle says this wonderful thing in the earlier chapters of Acts when he's talking about the, he's speaking to the Jews, to the ones who, who killed, repent, therefore, and be baptized. And when they were cut to the heart, the people that were listening Peter said, in times of refreshing will come to you. We need times of refreshing. Even Christians, we get so busy, we let the things of this world weigh heavily on us. And we need times of refreshing. A huge wave of refreshment to come because you've been so far from Jesus or you haven't heard from him for a long time or you haven't spent any time with him um, you know since for a few days uh, spend time with Jesus regularly every day throughout the day and these waves of refreshment will come in smaller measure but they will come consistently so you stay refreshed more often and that's how you prevent yourself from going to sin and going to temporary relief for um, we are just inside three minutes uh, obviously can't take any more phone calls and 
I don't think I have any more time for. Uh, I, I do. I have a quick question here. I'll I'll, I'll take this one uh, from Max. Does Matthew 18 mean that God will treat us harshly if we refuse to forgive one another? Uh, no, 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 no. I think Matthew 18 here, the context is Peter. And and this is when he's asking, okay, how do we forgive or how often are we to forgive? Uh, forgiveness that we are to extend to others. Because there is no limit to the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us. Uh, it doesn't mean that God will treat us harshly because God doesn't treat us harshly. But if we refuse, and this is important, if we refuse to forgive others, that speaks more about our own hearts than it does about the person that offended us. Anyone that refuses to extend forgiveness to others, and this is difficult, but it's true. Forgive others as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4. Forgiveness for me is the best thing that Jesus has given us. He has forgiven us. And and the natural byproduct of forgiveness should be uh, uh, gratitude. Gratitude. You don't manufacture it. It's the natural byproduct of forgiveness. And if you've been forgiven, then you must, not should, but you must forgive others. It doesn't matter what they've done. You've done to them. Because in the bigger picture of things, what I've done to Jesus is worse than anything else anyone's done to me. So that comes, that brings us here to the end of our show. Thank you for being patient with us for the end of our um, second half of the Word to Stand Out for Life from the second half on, on the Monday edition. It has been a fun time again. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for Pastor Ron here this entire week. Um, and I will say this. Uh, keep Pastor Ron in prayer. They love you. They miss you. Paula will be. I'm Pastor Ken Cruzado filling in for Pastor Ron this week. And I will be back with you tomorrow here at 4 o'clock on AM 630. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.